0: Well, it's our desire today that every one of us would come to an understanding of the God that we sang about and we sensed as we were singing. Some of us uh, were deeply moved as we thought about, you know, Jesus going to the cross and the power that's available and wherever you are in your understanding of God or Jesus, I I just pray today, and it's our church's prayer, this would be a safe place for you to check it out, but also we'd just love to see you connect with him. Uh, Because when you connect with him, you're going to be able to uh, experience life in a way that you were designed to experience it, just as he made you to be. So I just want to encourage you to just keep coming, keep hanging with us, let God speak to you. So here we are in our third week on work, and what I want to ask you to do is take these message notes out of your program. Also, grab your Bible and open it to Romans chapter 12. And uh, I'm going to camp out quite a while in Romans chapter 12 today. All the verses we'll use will be right here. Uh, If you want to just grab a Bible each week when you come in, they're on both sides of the door. Just grab it. You can use it while you're here. Put it back when you leave. If you don't own a Bible, I want you to grab one and take it today. This is our gift to you. It's our heart's desire that everyone in Nevada County would have a Bible in their home so they can read it themselves to learn about God and his love themselves and home. So that would be our gift to you. So, right at the top of your notes is a verse that we've been using from Ephesians chapter 7 as we talk about work. And it says this, it says, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do. Now, last week we talked about a definition of work, and I'm sorry I, d- I just spaced out and didn't get it on the slides today, but uh, I just want to, you know, run through that definition again so that we can recall what it was. And it's this, work is the gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. So that definition is the gracious expression. So kind of the idea is... When I'm working, I'm working out of what I've received from him, the grace I've received from him. I'm not having to, you know, work up something on my own that I'm giving out. But as I receive grace then grace flows out for me. So it's the gracious expression of creative energy. So he's called me to be a co-creator with him. Now, let's be clear about that. The Bible says that God created out of nothing and we can't do that. But as we talked about last week, uh, J.R. Tolkien gave this uh, word to this. We are sub-creators, and as sub-creators, we take something and we make it into something new. So we take something that doesn't exist before, and now we bring it into something new and is in existence. And as sub-creators, we do that. So it's a gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others, in giving myself away in some way. And so when you look at that definition, you realize it does, it's not uh, contingent upon place, Not where I am, it's not contingent on time, you know, so I, it doesn't matter where I am in life that I can still engage in this process of work. Whether I'm in high school, I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm in college, I'm looking at my career, where do I want to go? And I still have things, that, jobs that I do, whether I'm just starting out. I'm a young couple, just gotten married, and I'm trying to figure out a career or place, whether I want to start a business. Uh, and I'm moving into, you know, then now moving to middle age, and I'm trying to think about, you know, will I ever get to retire? And I look at that, and then now into retirement. We talked about last week. We can redefine retirement based upon this definition. And retirement is just a new phase, a new opportunity where I can now go out and, with God's gracious expression and creative energy, I can look for new ways to serve others. I'm not just put on a shelf now for the rest of my life, but I have purpose and meaning as I do that. So I just love that definition. Now, when God made mankind, He put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And I loved how somebody after last week, they told me, said, Ron, it's like this. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them a job to do. And that was called work. After the fall, it became labor. Okay. So it became hard work after the fall. So I just love that idea. But first of all, he gave us a job to do. God says work is good. God is a creator. He's a worker. He is, as we said last week, he's God with dirt under his fingernails, and he's a worker, and he's called us as his creation to work as well so we can embrace work as a good thing. Now, if you ask a person on the street, say, why do you work? You're going to get answers like this. I work to provide for my family. I work to pay bills. You know, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. So that kind of thing. I work to pay for my bills. I work to get ahead. I work to make a name for myself. I work for recognition. I work for the benefits. I work for status. I work to retire. Some say I just work out of boredom. There's all kinds of reasons that people work, and I'm not saying any of those are bad, but what I want to look at today, and we're looking at in the series, is that when you decide to work for God, as it said in Ephesians chapter 6 just a moment ago, work for God, work as if you're working for God instead of men then what you can do is you're going to see that work is a whole lot easier to do when I'm doing it from that perspective than if I'm doing it from what I get out of them. Now, many of you are going to remember the movie Chariots of Fire. You guys say, how many of you saw Chariots of Fire? Raise your hand. That's an older movie. Uh, I know that maybe some of the younger generations is just kind of like, oh, I go watch those oldies with mom and dad somewhere. But it is an oldie. But in that movie, Chariots of Fire, there's a couple of phrases that were mentioned uh, that I want to just draw attention to today to help us see two ways to look at work. And the first one is by Harold Abrams. Harold Abrams was 24. He was going to run the 100-yard dash. And here's what he says at the end of kind of a little spiel in the movie. He says this. He says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. Right? 10 seconds. 100-yard dash. 10 seconds to justify his existence. Can you imagine the pressure of that to justify why he's here, the worth and the value he has? And some people look at work that way. I have this amount of time. I have this day, this project, this problem, and I'm working simply to justify my existence. What a terrible way to work. What a terrible way to face life. Harold, I mean, um, Eric Little, on the other hand, he said this about his work. He's talking about the fact that he feels he's already been called to China as a missionary. And then he's talking to his sister and he said this. But you know what? God also made me fast. And I feel His run. And when I run, I feel His pleasure. There's the reason to work. When I do what God's called me to do, I feel His smile on me, I feel His pleasure at what I'm getting to do. Now, I'm just going to kind of get time out here and talk a little bit about the whole idea of what it means to please God. Now, because some of us, we come from either uh, backgrounds or we, we were involved in some kind of uh, religious teaching, uh, or we had a home that was really high on uh, achievement and uh, had really high levels of expectation. And so when, when we hear pleasing God, we take that and we take it over and we put it onto those, through, we, we hear it through those filters. And so we think, oh, just pleasing God. I can never please God. You know, and and the, really the filter we're hearing it from is I must appease God in order to be worthy. I must appease God. But God doesn't say, you know, that's all before Jesus Christ, appeasing God. After Jesus Christ, it's pleasing God. I please him, and so I'm working to hear not to appease him. Some of you think that's it, to appease him, that if I do enough, he'll accept me. If I I go over here, count it all up, make a list, all these things, I'm going to appease God. But what God says, I want you to please me, and that means to work for me, in such a way that as I look at you, I have a smile on my face, and it brings me pleasure. So he's called us to please him, called us to do that in life. So what we're going to look today is the difference between working for existence and then the working to please him in life. Because just work is a good thing. We already, you know, established that it's a good thing. And here's the deal. God wants to use our work, and some of us, we're just not going to like this, just honest. He wants us to use our work to help us to grow to help us to grow. Now, here's what I've learned, okay? I'm, I'm. just. This is what I've learned, okay? You guys may be way smarter than me, and it may be way different for you, but here's what, I, what I've learned about life. If I'm going to go, grow, it's going to require pain. Oh, I hate that. Don't we hate it? Because, well, we want the easy road. We want the easy way to go through life. But if I'm going to grow, it's going to require pain pain. Here's the deal. God is more concerned with your character than he is with your career. So he's going to help you grow your character in work, and that may affect your career in some way, but he's not as concerned about your career as he is concerned about your creator. So how does God, what does God want us to grow to look like? Well, look at Romans 8. Romans 8 says this, God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. Would you underline that? Become like his son. The longer I get to do what I do, the longer I am a son of the most high God, the more I realize that I'm not like his son. I don't know. And I get really frustrated at that sometimes. You know, I think, I'm a pastor. You know, I should have this down. You know, I should should not be struggling with this. But the more I'm doing what I do, the more I realize, and the more people I talk to, the closer they get to God, the more they realize how far they have to be like Jesus. And so what God does is he allows circumstances into our lives to chisel off, and it's not easy, chisel off what is on us now that doesn't look like Jesus so that over time we look more and more like him. Now, as I did my work for today, I came across a quote by Dallas Willard, and Dallas Willard, who died just this year, he's like one of the, uh, in in our current age, uh, one of the uh, prime spokesman for spiritual formation, helping the church understand about spiritual formation. His awesome book, uh, that he, I can't, what's the name of the book? Here we go. <laughs> it's awesome. The Divine Conspiracy uh, in chapter 8 talks about this, but here's a quote. Here it is. The primary place where spiritual formation happens is in our relationships and our work. God uses our work and the relationships we have there to spiritually form us. So what he's saying is this, he's saying if we restrict our spiritual formation process to what we do for, say, an hour and a half every Sunday, and just say we are in a community group too, so we do an hour and a half in a community group, and we might have like a 15-minute devotion every day, but if we limit the work he wants to do to us to spiritual things, then we're missing out on what he wants to do in our lives for the other eight hours of every day. He wants to be engaged and he wants to help work changes. Kind of says this, he goes on to say this. One who does not know this way, and he called it job discipleship, job discipleship, cannot imagine what release and help and joy there is in it. So when I let my job change me, I'm going to realize how much value there is and how much joy I can have. So that's our premise, okay? That's where we're going today. We're going to look at this. The primary place that he says that spiritual formation happens is through relationships and work. So here's what I did. And just this week, my message started morphing and, and coming to understand. I said, if I'm going to grow mostly through relationships and through work, then what I want to talk about today is how to do relationships at work. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12, uh, some verses written to the church, but they apply, you know, cross to everyone else as well. This is how each one of us can grow at work if we'll allow what we're talking about to happen. So Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 11, he starts with this, never be lazy, but work and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Now we're jumping down. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone sees that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone." Now, when you read that list, and I heard some of you, you know, chuckle, and some of you saw things. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. I like the way that says. Now, if I just read that and we went on, then what you would leave here today was kind of a chuckle or an awareness. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take this phrase by phrase now, and we're going to look at it phrase by phrase about how you can grow at work and how you can now love at work in a new way after you learn what we're talking about today. Just some really some simple principles. Many of them I've just been learning over the years So many of you have heard some of these. I've shared them before. We're going to look at them today as we go through it. The first one is this. He says, never be lazy. Never be lazy. And so what I'm asking you to do is be one who sets the example at work. Be one who sets the example for, you know, a diligent worker. So when others are stretching their coffee breaks, when others slack off when the boss is on vacation or took a day off, when others spend as much time on the Internet as they do working, uh, when others spend all their time talking about outside activities or the events that are going on, you be the one to set the example that you're going to do things in your workplace that would show that you are diligent in your work. We're going to talk a lot about this next week, but diligent in your work. And so, you know, that never be lazy. This is one of the ways, you know one of the ways we're lazy at work is we know something needs to be done and we sit back hoping somebody else will do it. So we sit back, hoping somebody else is going to step up and do what we knows to be, know to be done. So what I want to encourage you to do is you be the one that steps forward. You be the one that says, I'm going to do what needs to be done because I can do it. And you set an example at work for someone who's not lazy, but someone who wants to work with enthusiasm. Another way you can do that at work is not being lazy. Is One of the ways we're lazy is that, um, or I guess lazy probably not the best word, but one of the ways that we could Build up people better at work is if we look for ways to tell them what they've done well. But a lot of us, what we do is we sit back all the time and really here's what we're thinking, and I, you know, here's what we're thinking, and we're thinking, did someone notice what I did? Did someone notice what I did? So we're always wondering, did someone notice what I did? Did they notice what I did? And we just need to get outside of ourselves and notice what someone else did and tell them they did a great job. And someone did this yesterday. We had a memorial service here yesterday, and uh, after the memorial service, Uh, a gentleman comes up, and he says some really kind things to me, and says, you know, this is why we love you as our pastor, because this is what you do, you do this so well, and just really just awesome things, and then he turned from me, and the next person he ran into was also someone who helped with the service, and he said, same thing, (laughs) you did such a great job today, you did awesome, and then he goes to the next, and you did such a great job, and I'm thinking, what's this guy about, you know, he's just going around telling everybody what a great job they did, instead of thinking about himself, even his own pain at the person who had just lost their life. And so I'm encouraging you to be looking outside and say, where can I you know, encourage other people to tell them And they've done a good job and give them a pat on the back. Next, serve the Lord enthusiastically. So I just want to be optimistic at work. Be optimistic. You know, we have two ways we can go into work, really. We can go into work and say, you know, I can't wait. I'm so glad to be here today. Or we can go into work and go, oh, my word, I can't believe it's just Monday and i got all this to do. And oh, yes, oh, oh. Oh, and everybody around you, you're just sucking all the life out as you walk down the aisle, okay? Because they're just like, oh, man. And so, you know, we can either go to work as Eeyore, oh, my word, or we can go to work as Tigger. Hey, I'm Tigger. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. We have two ways that we can go to work. And I just want to encourage you to be Tigger at work, okay? Be optimistic about things. No, it's like, oh, it's just, you know, because I know how problems come at us and they can seem to overwhelm us at times. And we can get like this and this and this. But instead of letting the problems wash over you, of being underneath your circumstances, get above your circumstances through faith in Christ, what he can do. And say, I'm going to be the one who changes the temperature and the atmosphere of my workplace by my attitude. And I talked last week about different, you know, employees I've seen and workplaces. And now some are just, oh, I I hate my job. And others are, I love my job and I love serving you. And so be that person when you go to work. Third, and it's going to get harder as we go, okay? Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. I guess this is probably the hardest one on the whole list. Bless those who persecute you. Now, what I'm going to encourage you to do is take the high road. Now, some of you, I, just, I know you because I've you know, just done this a long time. Some of you, when someone hurts you, you'll take the high road just so you can feel better about the one who hurt you. So you know you take the high road because now you're elevated and you're oh yeah and you want to look down on someone else. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, I'm talking about you take the high road and the high road refuses to pay back. Refuses to pay back in some way. So you take the high road and to realize you know what? I don't always have to be right. I don't always have to be understood. So you know because I don't have to always have to be right. I don't have to always be understood. I can just let what happened actually happen. You know, I I heard someone say it this way. Um, Many of us, we look at life and we think everything has to be fair. You guys like that? You know, everything has to be fair. Well, this person said fairness ended in the Garden of Eden. It just ended there. Okay, so if you're expecting life to be fair, guess what? It's not going to be until there's a new heaven and a new earth. And so trying to look forward to that is not going to be helpful at all. So what do you do? Instead of retaliating, instead of, you know, the things that we want to do, we want to just, you know, go after people like that. Well, the Bible says that we should bless them. Now, sometimes, I'm just going to tell you, it, because the, you know, the energy is so high and uh, what they've done is so painful, it's impossible for you to go and say, Well, thanks so much for slicing me in the back today. Bless you, brother. It's really hard to do that. And so what I would encourage you to do, you have to start with prayer. Because we're going to start a series in prayer in a couple weeks. Prayer changes all things. So as you pray, now you're praying for them to be not just, oh, God, oh, God, would you just please let me not kill them right now? (laughs) But really your prayer is, God, bless them. Bless them. And that's what Jesus asked us to do. Bless them, God. Pour out prayers like that. Next, be happy with those who are happy. Now, this is probably the easiest one on the list, right? Be happy with those who are happy. So we all want to be around happy people, so when somebody's happy, we're happy, and we just go around them. So let's just skip this one. OK Here we go. <laughs> we are all called, also called to weep with those who weep. And it gets, you know this is a little bit more complicated and complex here. Weep with those who weep. So in order to weep with someone who weeps, I have to first be aware. I, I have to be aware that there's a problem going on. And so be aware that, uh, I, that they need some care from someone else. Uh, so I have to learn to be sensitive to the feelings of those around me. I need to listen to their stories. And I need to try to remember them. Okay, remember their stories, and remember that they've been talking about a hurt. Remember they've been talking about a child that's not doing well in some way. Remember they've been talking about some marriage struggles or some financial issues, or they want to get you know they just want to get married and they just can't seem to you know just listen for their struggles, listen for their trials. You know, one of the ways um, I don't know my family conditioned us this way, and my family when something's going wrong, there's always a. So you know, every time I hear a. around me i'm like somebody needs to be wept with (laughs) and so i you know it's a signal for me to go talk to them in some way so if you're listening then what you can do and guys just so just so, just guys let me just tell you okay i'm not telling you tomorrow asking you tomorrow to go to work and cry with your buddy okay (laughs) so i'm not asking you to do so (laughs) <laughs> we're safe there. But I am asking you to be aware and, you know, care in some way. And care just might be a slap in the butt in some way and say, I'm, I, I'm with you. I'm, I know you're going through pain right now, and you're not alone. So one way that you're going to weep with those who weep, but you have to be aware to do that. Okay, next is this. I need to live in harmony with each other. Live in harmony with each other. And here, this is a phrase we've used forever at Twin Cities Church, uh, give the benefit of the doubt, uh, and here the whole idea is, is that um, when, when people go through life, most often when you get pinched or you get hurt, that no one did that to you intentionally. I mean, there are maybe one or two evil people in the world. And maybe you have one at work, and they come in every day, and their job is to make your life miserable. Uh, in some way. But most people aren't like that. Most people walk into work, and they're just consumed with their own stuff, their own agenda, their own lack of resources, uh, own, you know, their own pain at home, and that's going on. So they're really not out to get you. And so when this happens, when, when you get pinched, the first thing you have to know is, this is not at me. This is not personal right now. If you can depersonalize a pain, then you're able to have perspective and see it in a new way. And that's what you have to do, is you just say, okay, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt right now. And just gonna say, I know that you didn't intend this. I'm sure you didn't intend this. You're a better person than this. And I'm gonna give you this benefit as we step forward, knowing that you really, you're probably trying just as hard as I am to get through life and not really hurt people, but to actually get ahead and deal with your problems. So I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. Next, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. So I just say this be real at work, don't wear a mask, be sincere. Uh, just learn to respect everyone, no matter where they fall in the org chart, uh, or, uh, you know, like the, the, the organizational structure, uh, or the hierarchy, or the job description, is that, you know, we could tend to um, to look at people and say, oh, that's just the person who's emptying the trash right now, but the boss is the one that's going to give me a raise. So I go to the boss, and, you know, and I'm buttering him or her up, and when this person comes around, I don't even know they exist. And so what he's calling us to do is to see your workplace as we're all equals. We're all equals. Never think of yourself better than anyone else. So there's no job that's below you, no job that's above you. And you treat people that way, then you're going to create a whole different atmosphere. You're going to gain a whole nother level of respect because you respected other people. Next, don't think you know it all don't think you know it all. And this is just be teachable. That's pretty clear. Even though a lot of us chuckled when that one was read. This is just saying I'm going to be teachable. Um, So basically, you know, the whole idea is this, is I said earlier, is that um, is that we don't always have to be right, Um, is that there are lots of ways to do things, folks. And what happens is, is that, you know, we get so far in our thinking sometimes, so far down the road and how we should do something that, let just to be honest, we, we start thinking this is the only way it can be done. And so when we start thinking it's the only way we can be done, what we're saying is this is the only right way it can be done is my way. Somebody else comes and they've got a whole nother idea. And the first thing we think is, well, it's not the right way because my way is the right way. And what I would encourage you to do, because that's just going to create friction, that's going to create tension, there's got to be a winner and a loser there in that kind of discussion. So what I would encourage you to do is say, if I'm going to have a win-win, what I need to do is I need to be the one, even though I think my way is the right way, I need to be the one to ask questions. So, okay, tell me about your perspective. Tell me what it is you're looking for. Tell me where you're coming from so I can try to understand. And now you're just saying to that person, you be my teacher. You be my teacher. And any, uh, the best way to resolve conflict many times is when you come, you're in conflict with somebody else, and you just say to the person, will you be my teacher right now and help me that this doesn't happen again? And you just come and say, be teachable. Just be teachable in some way. Uh, it talks about learning too is that you can show people at your work that, wow, you don't know it all, so you're always trying to learn and always trying to get better at what you do. Okay, next, never pay back, pay back evil with evil. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Never pay back evil with evil. Now, I'm going to talk about gossip here because I, I just, you know, kind of the whole thing is, is that uh, uh, we have these kind of arsenals of weapons that we all have and different ones. Some of us have, you know, a full arsenal. Some of us have a small arsenal. Some of us have a lot of bullets. Some of us have a few bullets. We all have our arsenals uh, of ways that we're going to get even with someone else or we're going to hurt them when they hurt us. And one of the, you know, most damaging weapons we can use, weapon of mass destruction, is gossip, is gossip. When someone hurts me, and now the way that I'm going to feel better about myself, and we don't even, sometimes we don't even think about this. You know, it's on a subconscious level. The way I'm going to get feel better about myself or take care of myself or release some of this energy right now is I need to talk to somebody else. And in the process of talking, what I'm doing is I'm cutting them down, I'm defending myself, I'm talking about, maybe it's truth, but it doesn't need to be shared, and I'm talking about, and what it's doing is it's Making me feel better about me and someone else feel better, worse about themselves. So, what I would just say is, we want to be a never gossip church. We want to be a never gossip workplace. That that's not you. Maybe other people gossip at your work, but you don't have to be the one who gossips at your work. And so, by the way, if anybody's coming to Journey One Hundred and One today, I'll talk a little bit more about why we try not to gossip at church. Okay, next is this: Do things in such a way that people see you are honorable. And what I said here is, be diligent. Now, next Sunday, this is my entire message, okay? The entire message. So, you know, I just included it because it was in the list, but I'm not gonna cover it. I'm gonna come back to this next week and we'll cover the entire section on being diligent. Then he says this do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. And the way I said this is that, hey, we need to put trust in the gap. This is a phrase we use at our staff, in our office. Uh, it came from a teaching we watched one time by Andy Stanley when he was talking about organizational health and church health. And put, church, put trust in the gap. So the premise is this, is that employee A, employee B, employee B says, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to accomplish. And so the employee B sets out to accomplish what he or she said they were going to do. Employee A is waiting and waiting for you to accomplish that for employee A can go on with his or her work or get, make things happen employee B gets so far, and then something happens and doesn't go any further. Either they got distracted, they got something changed, uh, missed some work because of, you know, the life circumstance. Uh, it was more than they could actually do, and they were promising more than they could do. And then employee A sitting there saying, I expected you to reach me. Okay, so what happens is right now there is a gap. You see the gap? You have a choice right now. You can say, when that gap happens, you can say, You made my life terrible, you know, and you did this on purpose. And life is going to stink, and how you're going to help me make up for this? And so you, you were, you really did this on purpose to me. And you think about that, you can do that, or you can say, "Wow, have I ever met every expectation that I told someone I would try to meet?" No. Okay. So, do I ever fail? Yes. Do I think this person was evil and did this at me? No. Do I, so I don't, So you can say, what I'm going to put in that gap then is I'm going to put trust in the gap, and the trust is saying, I know you meant to do it, and you couldn't do it, and so I'm going to trust that you were going to finish it, but it just didn't happen. Now, employee B, the other thing employee B needs to do is they put trust in the gap, but they come back and say, I missed what I said I was going to do. So they have to own it too, and they put trust in the gap. They grow trust by being someone who's going to say, I blew it, and this is what I'm going to do next time. Okay, so those, that's the list, and the reason he gives you this list is he wants you to be a more loving person. The number one characteristic of Jesus Christ is love, and so what Paul is saying is, I want you to bring love. I know, guys, this is hard to hear, isn't it? Bring love into the workplace. It's so all soft and touchy-feely and all that. And I'm not saying that. You know, not, this is all just practical stuff that you can do no matter what your job is, no matter how high, test, uh, high the testosterone is or low it is, that you can do these things that we've talked about today, and it's how God is going to allow us to grow. And as we grow, we're going to bring love into our work environment and put it there. Now, I got one more thing I want to cover, okay? So really quickly, and you know, I just felt like I couldn't let go of this. I thought, well, that's a full message already, Ron. But you know what? I couldn't let go. I already had it on said we were going to look at this this week. And I just know that for somebody here, this is for you today. The first one was I'm going to be a people builder, and the second one is, I'm going to be a perspective changer. I'm going to be a perspective changer. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a perspective changer. So the idea is this. I am going to face problems at work. I am going to face pain at work. And how do I handle it? What do I do when the problems and the circumstances come that cause me pain or are harmful in me or hurtful for me in some way? The way I face that is going to change the perspective of my entire workplace as people watch me live in pain and handle it with patience and character and grace and resilience as they do that. And so look at this verse from Romans chapter 5. Paul writes this. We can rejoice. Would you circle that word rejoice to begin with? Because it seems like an oxymoron about what's, what's getting ready to come. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. You know, kind of the way we're going to apply this today is our work can be full of pain. Our work can be difficult, but we don't have to have the Eeyore perspective that everything is bad because something is bad. And we can have a different perspective and say, because God, do you really trust God? Because God has allowed this to be filtered to me through his fingers of grace, then I can, with his grace, walk through this. I can be strong in this as he does it. Now, i want to encourage you with this. We're going to watch a story. Uh, this story is by George Zaloum. And he had a difficult circumstance come. Many of you know about this circumstance. It's called the Great Recession and how it changed his life. And what I love about his story is is it's all about work, all about his job, all about purpose, why God put him here, and then how God was able to give him joy even through his difficult circumstances. Let's watch his story.
1: I find that a lot of people have expectations of mechanics, that they're uh, swindlers, they're cheats, uh, they fool people into doing things that don't need to be done. We're really trying uh, to change the whole feeling people have about mechanics, uh, that they are trustworthy, they do care about your car, they do care about you, they want it to be safe, they want it to be reliable, and uh, and I hope we're accomplishing that in the way we treat Hi, it's a great morning here at Zaloom's. This is George, can I help you? When I became a Christian, I went into the pizza business and then um, into real estate. And while I was in real estate, I was doing deals all over the world. But then uh, everything fell apart and we lost everything. And um, the only thing I had left was a quilt, uh, a automotive business that I had started and I took over the business. And I was at church one day, and a friend, a good friend of mine, was introducing me to his father for the first time. And his father said to me, Oh, you're the mechanic. And I looked at him, and in my mind, I'm going international real estate, uh, money. And then I just looked at him, and I said, Yes, I'm the mechanic. I I started realizing. This is where God has me right now. If something changed, something will change, but um, I've got to change my attitude. There's a purpose in being here. And as that purpose became more clear on uh, reaching people, talking to people, realizing that there was no separation, what I did at work and what I did at church were the same thing. I'm here to do His will not my own, and not for my purpose, but for his. Um, So I really started liking it. Oh, my pleasure, thank you. Have a great day. Keys are in it, stickers on, you're all set to drive. Okay, God bless. There has to be joy in this. God promised joy. He didn't just promise it at home and at church. Promise promised financial wealth, but he did promise joy. And if you can't find it eight hours a day, there's something wrong. And it may just be that you don't know to call on him. I need more than this. Lord, give me, give me joy. This is where God has me. You know, I could be in a prison in Iraq singing hymns unto the Lord because I was preaching the gospel, but I'm here. I, I love what I'm doing right now. And and God has me here and it provides a, um, a benefit to people and it's just working out well.
0: Wow, right? Yeah, that's just so cool that there can be joy at work. And what God wants to do is allow He's gonna allow pain, difficulty into our lives so that as they come, they wash over us. They don't take us down because he's our strong anchor. And he, we're able to hold on and then he's able to transform us and change us. So and as we're transformed and changed where we can look at life from a different perspective, we, tra- we can then transform our workplace. Transform it completely maybe or maybe just transform one person as we get to be transformed as well. But the number one thing God's concerned about here is not your workplace, it's you. It's you. And somebody stopped me after first service and said, Ron, I, I, I was the kind of worker you talked about today and I got fired last week, simply for just a petty issue. So even though I'm talking about the way that you can influence your workplace, it does, I'm not, this is not a formula for how your work will be nirvana, this beautiful place, heaven on earth. This is saying, this is what God's going to do to you, and then he's going to take that next step, and he's going to use it as part of his process in helping you become like his son. In fact, look at what uh, James writes. He just kind of helps us to sum it all up. He says this, "...when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing." So it's just possible that the most important thing you bring to your work is not your skill set, not your knowledge, not your abilities, but it's who you're becoming. It must be the most important thing. And then I'll just add another thing. Maybe the most important thing you bring home is not your paycheck, but it's what God is doing in you So you can be more loving everywhere you go let's pray together ask god to do this in us father i thank you for our church and i thank you for these people and i just know that um, i have people in the room that have all kinds of situations i can't even imagine but you know them you're personal and right now that you would just come to every person right where they are you'd whisper to them that you care that you're available they're not alone Father, I pray for all of us in our church that we'd be aware. We know people who are struggling, especially in this work issue, struggling in other areas of life, and that we'd be aware, God, and we'd look for ways that we can encourage and care and weep with those who weep. Father, I pray that you would give us strength now that, wow, what a list, and whew, it can feel overwhelming. So God, just show each person the one thing they can do different maybe today or tomorrow when they go to work and father through the power of your spirit give us what we need to do what you ask because we truly want you smiling at us as we live our lives for you it's in jesus name we pray amen